Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. All right, in the spirit of being uncensored, today we have a brave therapist who stepped forward, admitting that she doesn't understand enough about attachment. Now, this is a big deal because as therapists, we feel like we're supposed to know a lot about everything. So kudos to those of us brave enough in the world to say when we don't know. In this episode, Sue Marriott talks with her fellow therapist, Tracy Campbell, about attachment theory and how it affects our adult relationships. Now, if these ideas are new to you, don't worry. Together, Tracy and Sue are going to explain it and break it down for you in a really easy and entertaining way. So let's get going. And don't worry, um, there's more information in our show notes that you will see graphics and that will help you get it as well. So let's take a listen. Good. So here's what literally happened. This was actually fun. I was actually preparing to do a podcast on the basics of attachment. And I got this call from you that said, what? I just said, hey, Sue, I'm, I'm really confused about attachment theory. And I had done some training. Nobody's believing you right now. This actually happens. This really <laughs> did happen. I did like a, a pretty intense several month uh, training. And I left after several months and thought, uh, there are still a lot of things that I don't know. So I called you. And I said, can you, can you teach me some things? Mm-hmm. And to which I said, absolutely, but we're going we're gonna to record it. <laughs> to which I freaked out. <laughs> and here I am. You were just happy we weren't videoing. I'm very happy we're not videoing. <laughs> so, um, so I'm totally happy to have the conversation. And one of the things, um, you know, that's always a thing about this is sensitivity about not knowing things that we think that we're supposed to know. And so I want to start out by really appreciating that you are the kind of therapist and person that lets yourself ask questions and seek knowledge and um, sort of reach out for things that you think will be meaningful to you and not have to pretend, oh, I already know it all. That, so I just want to start with like the vulnerability of coming in and asking questions and having this go out to the world is like the, the judgment of that is like it's courageous and the truth is, and part of why I'm so excited about this, is I think the questions that you have and the conversations you want to have are exactly the conversations that our audience, who is super smart, they're lifelong learners, they're interested in sort of where the rubber meets the road and how this stuff affects their life. So I think it's a perfect setup. So where do you want to start? Well, you know, I, I guess I guess what I th- what I'm curious about as a as a therapist, the way I want to understand it more is as a therapist and and as a client is <laughs> how does what happened in our early life? I mean, how does it really affect us now? And then if as a as, as therapist, like where do we go from there? Right. And as a, a non-therapist, just as a right. client, as a person in the world, yeah, how does it affect me? How yeah. does it affect me with my clients? How mm-hmm. does it affect me in my relationships? And so, mm-hmm. that's, what, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, what's the big deal? Why is everybody talking exactly. about this? Exactly. Exactly. Totally get it. We are we're trying to paddle towards security, no matter where we start. So I want to start with security. So if we basically get it right, we feel understood in the world. It's good enough environment. We're going to develop this this system of security so that we 
you know, if you think of a little, a toddler, they, you know, they're, they're holding the skirt of the mom. And, but then guess what happens when they feel like their battery's full? They run and play, right? What mm -hmm. real security is, is this idea of going into the world and exploring. But then you get scared because something happens in the world and guess what you do? You run back to your secure base <laughs> and then you fill your battery and then you go out and explore in the world and you go to the playground or you ride your big wheel or you go be big and bold and then you get nervous or you get tired or you, it's the end of the day and you run back to your secure base. Such a great way to explain that. Really? It's such a great way of explaining that. That's awesome. Well, that, so that's the loop, right? So that's kind of what we want. And, and going back to adults, um, the gist of this is that even if we didn't get it as kids, there's a possibility of getting it as adults. If we partner with a secure adult, even if we're in some of these other categories that I'm about to talk about, being with a secure partner converts us to what they called earn secure, which basically just means we, we don't start with the secure loop, but we build it on top of a of a more disrupted loop. So, um, all right, so I wanna to move towards some of the ways things can go wrong. That's the way things can go right. But do, are we good there? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. All right, so what I said was, if 70% of the time you get that, then you're good to go, right? But if there's not enough um, reliable, attuned, sort of accurately uh, aware person, primary, um, you don't need a bunch of people, you just need the person. Mm -hmm. If that's not the case, then what typically happens is we start doing, you know, attachment behaviors, which is we signal distress, we whine, we cry, we get mad, you know, we... we what did you say, attachment behaviors? What did you yeah, say? like, so our attachment system, if we get separated from our primary, we get upset, mm -hmm. right? So if this isn't happening, we, our signals of upset begin to increase initially. Initially, they begin to increase. Like, where were you? Like, you didn't text, <laughs> right? Like, what's going on? Wait, that's not what you said, right? Like, you just, um, you begin to show signs of distress. And if, again, uh, so you're seeking, you're scanning, you're clinging, right? Like, those things begin to happen. So again, if that goes well, you pop back up to the security loop. But what we're talking about now is when that doesn't go well. Um, and when it doesn't go well, we basically fall. Um, so let's go back to childhood. So you're a child and you fall down and no one notices, for example. So you don't have your primary person that is accurately, empathically, um, scanning and attached and, and like you don't uh, have a primary person you don't, who, pay, who right. pays attention. So basically what what ends up happening, here's the, the, the gist of the research is that there's forms of insecurity. I talked about security. Now there's forms of insecurity and, they, and they've kind of fallen into two camps. So the first camp is where that you fall, nobody notices. You cry, they're real slow to get you. They, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> Right? Is that familiar from mm -hmm. East Texas? Very, very. You're <laughs> <laughs> speaking my language. <laughs> Believe me, it's my language too. Um, so, so one side of insecure attachment has to do with when you're rebuffed, when you're rejected, when you're pushed away. So in other words, those signals of distress get pushed out. So guess what you do? If you get pushed out every time you signal distress, what do you think happens? 
you stop um, you stop showing distress. Yeah, totally, right? <laughs> it would be stupid to be trying right. to get up on the couch as a toddler when by getting up on the couch you get pushed down, mm -hmm. right? It like shoved away. So, so here's the really very interesting part is so this one side of attachment, which is going to be the avoidant, dismissive, um, um, you know, the side that is like, oh, zipped up, right? I don't need you. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. <laughs> right, right. You just go right on down the road. So that's how it ends up looking in adult life. As kids. And if the, someone doesn't notice. No. Like if you fall and someone doesn't notice when you're younger? A lot. It ha Remember, we've got 70%. Got it. Got it. Right. But it may, over and over and over and over. So what's really sad about this, and again, like I feel like I'm in all these categories, which well, I can talk about later about why that is. But um, so if the distress gets you rebuffed, ignored, um, neglected, you know what I mean? If, if, if people miss it, and that can be for lots of reasons. It might be their own attachment histories, or it might be poverty, it might be drug addiction, it might be depression, postpartum. I don't know why, right? But mm -hmm. for whatever sets of reasons, and we're not blaming parents here. We're not throwing anybody under the bus. We're just saying, if you little Tracy, <laughs> when you needed something naturally, and it was repeatedly not acknowledged and not responded to, then you're gonna start deactivating that distress. And you're going to just bypass it. Mm -hmm. So what these kids look like, even at one years old, in the strange situation, they um, they go into a room. The mom leaves. Uh, the these kids like play their xylophone. They act like they don't even know that the mom is gone. At one years old. This is already a system that's active, that's intact. Basically, like to to use therapy language for just one second, the representation their representational system of relationships. So. It's like the software. The software's getting laid down. Don't go to anyone. You can't rely on anyone. So mom leaves, child plays xylophone or plays whatever, right? Pretends like they don't notice. Mom comes back, and here's the real clue. Mom comes back, they still pretend not to notice. Like whatever. They, they're, it's not like their needs are gone. They have just deactivated their distress. And so they literally, and you, they grow up, and guess what? These are the people on the computer <laughs> that are self-soothing with things. They're very good at auto-regulation, mm -hmm. taking care of themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and because they have learned, these are the kids that have given up hope. They have learned, don't rely on anyone, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, screw need, screw vulnerability, mm -hmm. <laughs> screw expressiveness, that just gets you killed, <laughs> right? So that's one pocket of insecurity. That's the dismissive avoidance side. Stan Tatkin talks about this. He's, he is one of the um, authors that has done a really great job of bringing this primary attachment research to therapists and to the public. And the language he uses for it is island. You become an island, right? Is so, this people who, are these people who withdraw? They withdraw, they stonewall, they... Um, you can't read their expressions? You can't read their express. oh, absolutely. Uh, they're not as good at reading other people's expression. Do they look like they're holding something back? Well, they're not, they don't perceive they're holding anything back. You're the needy one. Why the hell are you texting me so much, Jesus Christ? 
Right, well, right. These are folks that like, I have to literally teach. And again, I to, there's a part of me that falls in this category, but you have to literally teach when your partner says, and they're texting and they say, on my way, <laughs> really in therapy, what they'll say to you is like, what's that about? Like, duh, <laughs> right? Right, right. So you have to literally like reprogram. No, on my way is a bid for connection. It's just a way of saying, hey babe, I'm coming. Like it's a, it's a connector. And so their appropriate response should be on the text, yay. <laughs> so they won't feel that naturally, but if they can right. learn to, you know, learn to do the right thing, uh -huh. it'll, it'll warm the relationship up. They'll have somebody in their life. These are not people that want to be alone. It's not like these are introverts. These are people that want to be connected, but connection is frightening. And, but they don't know, here's the rub, is they don't know that it's frightening. They think everybody else is a little bit wacky. Or I should say, we think everyone else, when I'm in my avoidance state, I think everyone is a little bit like too needy, and I'm the one that's okay, mm -hmm. right? So they're not introverts. No, they're not that's introverts. That's interesting, I would have thought something different. Yeah, introversion and extroversion is a different, um, it's just a different plane. Got it. This is much more about um, people's representational uh, expression in the world and what they're, it's, it's, as I said earlier, it's like the software. It's like what you've taken in about, about the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, don't put pressure on yourself to get all of this in one first listen. We have lots more information in the show notes and you can always go back and listen again at another time, go slower, rewind, and uh, if this is too basic for you, no worries there as well, as we're just getting started and we'll keep expanding on these ideas and getting more advanced as we go along. All right, so you're ready to pop over to the other version of insecurity? Yes, so that was the first. Yes, so okay. at the top, we've got security. That's, yep. if you've heard other previous podcasts, that's the prefrontal cortex, that's our best self. That's, that's what we want. Secure I'm glad we're going back over this. So security, security is like the is, that is the gold standard. That's a big old beating heart in the front of your forehead, the orbifrontal cortex. That is like when when a bad thing happens, we bounce. We're more mm -hmm. resilient. We're healthier. We think, you know, if you know when our partner hasn't texted, we think, oh, they must be really busy, <laughs> right? Um, avoidance. Don't even notice that the partner hasn't texted. And then somebody, let's, are we okay with moving to the other form of insecurity? So yeah. there's two kinds of insecurity. Got it. Of organized insecurity. Okay. Um, according to the research. And the research is related to Mary Main and John Bowlby and Ainsworth. Um, and then people who have taken it further is Dan Siegel, Stan Tatkin, um, Por Stephen Porges. Uh, there's a... We have a resource list on our website that will have all of the uh, sort of original thinkers. And what we're contributing right now as we're doing it is like translating that into, into normal speak, <laughs> into human speak. Okay, we got security. That's, and did you know that um, at least 50% of the public is secure? I always thought it was like Bigfoot. It's like, oh, everybody talks about security, but it doesn't really exist. 50%. 50%. Uh, so even if you have 12 kids, if you had a secure history yourself, you're more likely to probably have 12 secure kids. Mm -hmm. So it's not attention. I think it's more about accuracy, truthfully. Like really seeing who you are. Really, really getting see. it. Yeah, you yeah. might get one twelfth of the attention, but if you get it well and you feel gotten, you're going to be okay. Yeah. You got that? You, you're going to neurologically 
be more intact and more um, it helps with friendship making it helps with grades it helps with you know it, the potential of your IQ it helps with um, when bad things happen resilience and even when traumatic things happen you're much more likely to do well if you have an insecure background or if you're in the insecure category, bad things happen, you're much more likely to get PTSD or to begin to get more intractable, intractable problems. Mm -hmm. So we ready to go to the second version of insecurity. Yep. Am I going too fast? So the first um, insecurity, organized insecurity? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's, in the research, there's two forms of organized insecurity. Okay. And so I might have missed this, so just mm -hmm. bear with me. Mm -hmm. But it, it, the, the, when you first started talking about insecurities, you talked about, you know, you fall, no one notices, you cry, no one asks you how you're doing. Right. And or so, picks you up. like the signals of distress. Yes. Right? And then you learn to zip it up. Yep. So, Just is that, that the first? Is that the first insecurity form of insecurity? Right. That's dismissive. That's like, that's think of dismissive insecurity. Dismissive. So, okay, think of it, it like on a, where I'm going to go with this is that I think it's everything's on a continuum. Got it. But right now, the way the research talks, is it's in these categories. Okay. That's a dismissive category. Okay. We good? Yep. All right, now to the right of that, let's say, is another form of insecurity. So these kids, when they're one years old and they're in this strange situation, which the strange situation is the very famous research um, where the, the toddler walks in with the mom, the mom carries the toddler in, uh, hangs out in this room, this um, room that they've never seen before, and puts the baby down and walks out and they measure what the baby's response is right so what i've already talked about is secure what secure babies do they run to the door they cry they're very demanding they're entitled <laughs> because they're should be taking care what happened here this is a very bad thing mom comes back baby's soothed and then wants to show them the room and show them the toys they're very easy to soothe the dismissive babies or they're they're not called that when they're little but eventually they grow up there's a high correlation between these kids who act like they don't notice. It's not even that they're acting, that they really don't notice the parents' departure, and they particularly don't notice the parents' reunion, like when they come back. Because that doesn't feel safe, right? It to, exactly. To notice, they to have notice. learned already, at one year old, they have learned that to come close and to come towards gets them rebuffed. So weirdly, here's this is, you're making an interesting point, because some people think, oh, those people, those kids don't need attachment. It's not that at all. What they've learned, they have the exact same needs, but what they've learned is if they suppress their expression of it, they can stay closer to the primary person. To explain that to me, because I've heard that and I don't really understand that. It's really interesting, actually. So, so what you said, let me just make sure I'm yes, caught yes, up. Go, go. So they've learned to, to suppress their, their need for attachment? Not their need, their expression their expression they need it but what they've learned is if you go grab mom's skirt mom uh -huh. is going to turn away or just not notice okay but if they look like they're fine they can kind of they they're going to get that's the closest they can get to mom they won't be rebuffed mm -hmm. so they've given up hope of of turning towards they've given up hope but again the need it's not like the need goes away the need is still there so the need is still there, but when they go toward, they get, they're rebuffed. Right. And so they learn to, they learn to not go, for, go toward. Exactly. 
And they give it, up hope. Yeah, because the researchers initially, what they did was they thought these kids are just like, oh, they've just bypassed it. But actually what happened is they put a grid on the screen. This is really interesting. But they put a grid on the screen, and what they noticed is those kids would get just as close to their primaries, but they would do it in these real subtle, like, backing up sort of ways. Like, mm. um, again, they would look like they were fine and, and, and playing their xylophone, but there actually was um, some proximity-seeking. They just sort of were sort of disowning it. And so, like not coming forward and right. saying, or like crawling in their mother's lap cross, or something no, like that. No, they will not run towards because they have learned not to do that. Or they typically right. won't. I mean, this isn't all kids, of course. Right. But if I stay still, mom won't get up and walk away. So I'm not going to run towards or else I won't get what I need. Now, they're not thinking this, of course, mm -hmm. right? They've just behaviorally in, in their body and in their gut learned. Can you give me another example? I think... I think this this is one of those things that it's has, confusing. has kind of hung me up. Like I get it a little bit, but right. there's something about it that I don't completely have it. So so if little Johnny wants mom and comes going right up to her, the, the couch example is just one that comes to mind, and um, wants to get right up in her lap, right? Well, let's say mom grew up with a mom who was dismissive. So... Um, she's going to be more likely to feel invaded and intruded and see everyone as needy. Remember we talked about that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so she, she's more, little Johnny knows that she is going to be more likely, he can be closer to her by just sitting on the floor near her and just doing his own thing is his chance for closeness. Because if he crawls up in her if lap, he crawls she's up gonna... in her lap, she's going to, you know, like... Like even maybe say something quite hurtful, or or just suddenly get up and get busy, or uh, put him down, you know, which feels mm -hmm, bad. Mm -hmm. um, but he could play with his toys. He can play with his toys with his back to her, and we're gonna be all good. Now he's not a Quinn. He's not thinking this. This is what the researchers have found by putting grids on and looking at oh these dismissive kids don't need uh, these avoidant um, toddlers don't don't need it no it's not that they don't need it they have that their strategy is to to disconnect from the expression mm -hmm. make sense disconnect from their expression their expression of need their expression and of e need. i'm okay, sorry got it disconnect from their expression of need and even their feeling of need because truthfully think about like the dismissive adults are just really they're not full of need and, dis and and I think it might become more clear as we talk about the other category but they're not um, upset they really do think you know I want you close but not too close mm -hmm. <laughs> which is how they learned as kids right right um, so they're the ones that like will come to therapy and be like it's almost as if you're the one that went and knocked on the door and got them to come <laughs> Like really resistant? Yeah, or like I was or really they, they, busy. They seem resistant. Well, yeah, but they don't Not feel res re they don't feel resistant. Right. But but like I guess it's like is it that is it that client the client who like you don't really know why they're you don't know not why, really they're sure why they're there. They don't even know why they're there. Yeah. Right. Or maybe but somebody else there. somebody else referred them. Or right. or um, they kind of have this vague idea of something that's wrong, but you know it's that their partner keeps. You know, it's threatening divorce if they don't talk, or 
Oh, that makes such sense to me. Or, yeah. or it's that, um, oh shoot, I had another, oh, um, like, yeah, yeah, no, I want therapy, I want therapy. But once you settle in, they're busy at work, they're late, they come in and they're like bothered to have to be there. They're like, God, traffic was terrible. You know? <laughs> they cancel. They cancel. Mm -hmm. Right. But like, it's as if you're burdening them. You suddenly feel like, like, hey, wait a minute, you signed up for this therapy. You're paying me good money, and somehow I'm bothering you? <laughs> That's a sign. <laughs> right? And like, believe me. Yeah, uh, like, like, like I'm more invested in it than they are. I, but that is literally, I think, what happens. Now, and here's the kind, the, 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 I mean, I, I can completely, I feel like I'm a recovering, dismissive, avoidant person. <laughs> So I get it, and um, I really, really, I feel like I deeply get it, which is um, that it was life-saving not to be vulnerable, be expressive, and have needs. It was life-saving. So as I'm laughing, I'm not laughing at, I'm laughing sort of about, <laughs> it's just a funny set of circumstances sometimes, or even in a relationship, and then somehow they're always bothered by their partner, mm -hmm. right? You know, they, they we're much more likely, like, let me say we instead of they, because I really feel that. When I'm in my more dismissive mode, I'm much more likely to feel intruded upon. Like, I'm, I'm perfectly fine in my individualistic, autonomic loop. But when somebody wants to relate to me, I'm, like, looking at them like, what? <laughs> do you think that they feel intruded upon? Yeah. No, I know so they like do, because I'm don't, one of them. <laughs> like, if they don't, sh if you, or if they don't show up for a session or if they forget about it or whatever the reason right and we end up working kind of harder than yes. they are yes are we bothering them yes well the tricky thing it would be um to not it's like not to believe that but you're going to feel uh -huh. like you're bothering them got but it. got it but and and your job will be to reconnect them to their need and their felt sense of, oh, yeah, I do need this. Oh, I do love that person. Oh, my God, if she died tomorrow, I would freak out. Like, so it's the, you, don't rec you don't connect them to, like, oh, your partner really loves you. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you, if you like, okay, if, if tomorrow you went home and your house was empty and she was gone, how would you feel? Connect them to their You need. connect them to their feelings of need because, remember, the original thing that happened is they disconnected from their vulnerability and their need. That makes sense. So let's pop over to insecure for a minute. The other insecure. The other category of insecure has to do with preoccupation. So on one hand, we have the kid with the xylophone that acts like nothing's going on. And then on the other hand, we have the kid that the mother leaves. Remember the strange situation? And um, they, they run to the door just like the secure kids. But the difference between them and the secure kids is that when mom returns, See, when mom returns, the secure kid's problem is complete, right? They're done. They're, they're happy now, <laughs> pretty quickly. They recover very fast. The um, anxious kids, the preoccupied kids, will, they can't be soothed. They have trouble, they'll cling on, but they have a much more difficult time. Uh, their arousal goes really high and they're just, they kind of don't want to be okay. It's not that they don't want to be okay. They, it's difficult for them to be okay once that arousal goes so high. So what it looks like is mom comes back in, they run to them, they do still have that. So these are the kids of the hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment. 
Whereas, remember, the dismissive kids are they've lost hope. Mm-hmm. Anxious kids, uh, preoccupied kids, or preoccupied adults, um, they also call them, by the way, angry, resistant adults. Stan Tatkin talks about it as uh, waves, like <laughs> lots of affect, lots of you know feeling that comes towards you. But so you said a hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment. like oh, there's mom, oh she's gone, oh there, there, she's gone. So these kids have been responded to inconsistently. So they, they they they're not missed when they fall, but maybe they're missed when they fall sometimes. But then all of a sudden they're swooped up and they're taken care of, and they're they begin to get hope that everything's going to be okay, and then. The next thing happens, and then the mom is, or the primary, is um, distracted, is, is consumed with their own feeling, is, you know, basically, usually their regulation system is off, too, and that's the biggest predictor. Did you know, here's an interesting thing, that you can predict the attachment of the child by the attachment of the parents when they are pregnant, before the child is born. If we don't interrupt it, if we don't do this exact, this is why that we want to do this podcast, that we really want to get this news out that it's very changeable and there's a lot of hope. But let's go back to anxious and preoccupied if we can. So preoccupied adults are the ones that, why haven't you texted me? Why are you doing that? No, no, no. There's a lot of information seeking. They're, you know, and they're like, look, I just, I just came home from work. I, I was a little bit off, you know. Um, and what they don't realize is that by... What, like, what are you doing? What, what like the questions and the thing and, and right, the preoccupied... Why are you so late? Exactly, you- exactly. So there's a lot of affect. The affect is higher. And dismissive uh, adults, affect is lower. You know what I mean? We're sitting right. in an easy chair. It looks like nothing matters. And preoccupied adults, um, one thing can happen. Everything can be fine, and one thing can happen, and we go really high. <laughs> what do you mean? You didn't say that. Blah, blah, blah. Right? And, and, and which is fine. A secure person is actually gets kind of um, stirred up if there's a disconnection with a primary, but they're just easier to soothe. Right? They're like... Oh, I'm so, I can't believe you're going to be gone. They cry because the person's leaving and going to be, like, it's, it's, there's still affect, but it's just about the soothing part. So, oh, it's about the soothing part. Yeah. So, well, you know, are, are these kids who are preoccupied, or people who are preoccupied anxious, like, let's say when they're kids. Right. Are they kids who are more, if you looked at them, like, they would, they would act out and it's hard to calm them down. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Right. They're going to cry more. They don't respond to change as well. Uh, that reminds me of myself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, are we finding your, <laughs> really uh, where, where you lean towards? I used to throw timber tantrums in the, the, uh, what, it, what material store, you know, the, whatever those material <laughs> stores were, uh-huh. whatever they were, I would just, I would. In Alto, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'd be the kid who um, would, we would go on trips and I would act out and I couldn't be sued. Yes. Nothing was right. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was, but it wasn't right. Exactly. That so is not exactly. sued. Not able to be sued. Not, and remember, remember, let's pop back up to security. 70% of the time, we have a primary person that really gets us mm-hmm. and that responds to us well. So that's secure. That's secure. Mm-hmm. So when it doesn't happen, when it happens irregularly, you kind of have somebody there, but they're not 70%. Right. Then it pops into preoccupied. Um, really, truthfully, lower than that, <laughs> they give up hope and they're over and dismissive. All right. Thanks for staying with us. And as you might uh, be able to tell, There's a lot more to come. 
As a matter of fact, Cameron, our awesome audio editor, said we had a bit too much information for one episode. So we decided to trust him and we broke it down into two episodes. So just cursor ahead for part two of Sue and Tracy's conversation. Now in the second episode, they continue with a conversation about attachment. And this time they talk about the different types of attachment and they talk about how a uh, a better understanding of these types can help us better our relationships and move to a place of a deeper security inside ourselves and in our relationships. Remember to check out our show notes at www.therapistuncensored.com where you can find graphics to help you visualize what was discussed in this episode. And as always, go ahead and like, rate us, subscribe to Therapist Uncensored. See you next time. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Cameron Lindsay edits the show.